it's my joy to introduce you, Pastor Brendan. If you don't know Brendan, he's one of the pastors at our church in Morunga. We love Brendan. He's the best. Um, and so it's such a joy to have him preach on mission this morning, something he lives and breathes and thinks about all the time. Um, and so would you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? And I'm going to move out of the way. I'm actually going to leave the room. I'm going to go listen to the sermon with my wife get a notepad and just enjoy being preached at. So that's going to be good. I'm going to hand you over to Brendan and we may or may not sing the last song depending on how, how long he preaches. So it's up to Brendan now. Um, so awesome. Thank you, Brendan. So good to have you. Great to be here, brother. And good morning, church. Hey, how nice that um, we get to do this. Um, man, I miss your faces. I miss that we can, you know, gather and hopefully sometime soon. Uh, like Riley said, we're here this morning to have a conversation about mission and uh, we're going to need God's help. So I'm going to read uh, our passage that Riley mentioned, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 10 uh, through to 21. And um, then I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. This is God's word to us this morning, church. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as your people scattered, we come before your throne together. And Lord, this morning, we want to pray the prayer of our Lord Jesus, who on the night 
he was betrayed in the garden, fell on his knees and said, Father, if there be any way, take this cup from me. And yet, not my will, but yours be done. Lord God, this morning, as a church, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, give us that same heart and mind of the Lord Jesus to say in all things, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, speak to us powerfully through the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, despite the chaos in the world recently due to the coronavirus, uh, in Sydney here, it's kind of like felt like a little bit like there's been a calm descending. The initial shock and fear of all things pandemic has by and large here subsided in, in so many ways as we kind of experience the release of restrictions and some sense of normality beginning to return. Uh, instead, the economic impact has largely become our focus, which has already been felt by millions with current estimates suggesting the worst is yet to come. Predictions as high as a quarter of Aussies out of work and the biggest downturn since the Great Depression of 1929. Friends, with so much change to our normal day-to-day -day lives, it's so easy to forget God's call upon our lives. Uh, you know, it's so easy instead to be focused on our job security. How can I ensure I will still have work when the crisis ends? To be focused on keeping your family safe, hand hygiene practices and the best masks or even your mental health, best exercise regimes possible. To be focused on finishing all the Netflix you could never have dreamed of possible before. To be focused on staying sane with kids homeschooling. If only I could somehow run a smooth operation like Maddie Spring. To be focused on surviving your studies while trapped at home with people you'd rather not be trapped at home with. You know, we can be tempted at this time to have an incredibly inward focus, all the while forgetting the words of our Lord. Words like Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Words like from Acts 1, 8, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Words like the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him if they've never believed? And how will they believe of him they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Well, here's the question I want us to think about uh, this morning is, how on earth can we be on mission as a local church in the midst of COVID-19 when we're by and large still on lockdown? You know, those social restrictions are easing. We're still very limited in our ability to interact with others. Most of us are still working from home. Schools are still part time. Uh, we're limited to gatherings of five people at a maximum. We can't gather as a church. What does faithfulness on mission look like in the midst of a pandemic? You know, as I've considered uh, during the week 
and uh, previously how best to encourage you guys this morning in chatting with Riley. Here's the sense I've had for us as a church. That is that faithfulness in mission at this time is about having a right perspective. Uh, if you're taking notes, I've entitled this message Mission in the Midst of Pandemic. And I've got three points for you guys this morning with really one heart. And that is that during this time of pandemic, God would give us his divine perspective. I think faithfulness on mission during this time is all a question of perspective. And my prayer for us and the heart of this message is that God will give us his divine perspective. Well, let's dive on into my first point for us this morning. And that is a divine perspective on God's work in the world. Uh, just by way of context, uh, this passage is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Corinth was at that time, at the time of this writing, a key trade city in Greece that had been rebuilt about 100 years earlier after being wiped out by the Romans. It was a posh city, a wealthy city, a showy city where people were notorious for boasting in their wealth and their status. There was a huge building boom at this time. They had built... Uh, one of the largest or the largest roof colonnade in the whole world and were famous for hosting the Isthmian Games. There was a big disparity in this city between the rich and the poor with about a third of all people in the city being slaves as Corinth was a key slave depot. Now, Paul had founded the church some years earlier where he had worked as a tent maker. And in his previous letter, he'd written this really strong letter uh, rebuking them in part for accepting an immoral brother. And this letter hadn't really been that well received by the Corinthians. And it had caused some divisions. And as a result, people were aligning with different leaders. And the result was that dishonest preachers had come into their midst to try and leverage some of this division for their own selfish purposes. And so Paul is writing this letter to defend his previous letter and to encourage them not to trust showy and dishonest preachers, but to encourage them to be faithful to Christ. Why don't you read with me again those first couple of verses from verse 10. Paul says this. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is his due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul is convinced that one day all people will stand before Christ in judgment and they'll be judged based on works done in this life. And as a result of Paul's belief in this final judgment, his gaze was transfixed by a sovereign reigning God and because of his fear and because of his gaze he sees his task is clearly to persuade others that word persuade means to appeal to to convince to seek to persuade and for me personally that's hugely challenging you know my example in sharing the gospel is often that my sharing of the gospel is not marked by 
a desire to convince or persuade, but by timidity. You're sort of mumbling the gospel under your breath. Do you want to share the good news about Jesus Christ and what he's going to feel? And, you know, just throwing it out there. But that's what Paul did. Paul sought to persuade others. Well, here's the question. Why did Paul give himself to persuading, to convincing others to follow Christ? Well, the answer is because he saw that sovereign judge of all. The reality of God's sovereignty and judgment was greater to him than the huge opposition that he faced. You see, Paul wasn't rich. He wasn't showy. He wasn't well-dressed. He wasn't the finest speaker. He was persecuted. He was often hungry. He was often beaten. He was often slandered. You know, if Paul lived today here in Sydney, he would be hugely unpopular. He would be frequently accused of being a bigot or a homophobe or narrow-minded or peddling hate speech. At the end of his life, when he's in prison, writing to his beloved friend and child in the faith, Paul says, Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed of me. As though Timothy's first temptation might be to feel shame when he thought of the apostle Paul. Where does he find the courage to continue? The answer is knowing the fear of the Lord. You see, Paul believed in a sovereign, powerful judge over all things. And in the midst of COVID-19, when the world is gripped by fear, when your savings are slipping, what sort of judge, what sort of God has captured your vision? Is it a distant detached power or is it the sovereign judge over all things why don't you read on with me in verse 11 through to 12 paul says the following therefore knowing the fear of the lord we persuade others but what we are is known to god and i hope it's also known to your conscience as well we're not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart paul is saying our our practice of evangelism our practice of persuading others to follow christ is plain to god it's obvious to god and i hope it's plain i hope it's obvious to you as well Paul says, we're not commending ourselves to you again, or perhaps better, we're not introducing ourselves to you again, but we want to give you an example to take pride in. An example with which you can answer the dishonest, showy preachers in this city. You see, Paul was transfixed by a sovereign God of all things, and this empowered his mission but more than this paul also saw clearly god's work in the world jump down with me and read with me verse 17. paul goes on to write therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come See, Paul says something amazing in this passage. Paul says that anyone who trusts in Christ 
becomes a new being. You know, Jesus describes this in John 3 as being born for a second time, as being born of the Holy Spirit. Previously, you were spiritually dead and cut off from God, just living for yourself, a spiritual corpse. But through faith and faith alone in Christ, you're transformed permanently into a new spiritual creature. But this creation is more than just some fun fact from the Bible. It's actually a picture of what God is doing in the world as a whole. Keep reading with me in verse 18. It says the following. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, reconciliation is a word that suggests a broken relationship. Someone has done something to harm a relationship such that it's been broken and reconciliation is required. Here's a question I want you guys to think about this morning. Have you ever needed to be reconciled to someone? Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you. Maybe it's a friend you betrayed. Maybe a spouse. Maybe a parent who treated you harshly or abused you. To be reconciled means to be brought back into relationship. See, the gospel is more than just the message of forgiveness. It's the message of reconciliation. See, if you were standing before a judge and that judge acquitted you of being guilty of a crime, you know, the courtroom is filled, the judge there waxes gavel and finds you not guilty, you would undoubtedly be thankful, but your next action would be to avoid that judge as soon as possible. Here's what you wouldn't want to do in that courtroom, is then to seek to commence a relationship with that judge. Oh, thank you, Your Honor. Drinks, my place afterwards, maybe kebab down the road. That would just never happen. That would just never enter the equation. But this is exactly what the divine judge of all wants with us. You see, Paul's message is that the cross shows us that God's work in the world through Christ is to reconcile the whole of the world to himself. A world filled with brokenness. A broken world that has rejected their king. A world that was in the debt of sin that they could never repay. Just as we read in that famous verse, verse 21, that says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God had a plan that for our sake he would send the sinless divine son to be estranged from him, to experience an inglorious death 
on our behalf on the cross. The shameful, suffering death of a sinner to bear the weight of our sin, to be estranged from God. He enacted a great exchange on that cross where he took all of our sin and our punishment and we took his perfect record, accessed purely through faith in him. God's work in the world is to reconcile the world to himself in and through the gift of his son. You might be sitting there at home and saying, okay, that's all wonderful, Brandon. God is working in the world to reconcile people to himself. Great, got it. But what on earth has that got to do with mission? Well, friends, you see, just as Paul was empowered in mission by having a right perspective on the sovereign God of all things, our involvement, involvement in mission during this pandemic is to be empowered by having a right perspective on the sovereign power and work of God in the world as well. You see, if you believe that God is working in the world right now to build the kingdom and glory of man, COVID-19 is a disaster. COVID-19 will produce in you disappointment, despair, fear, and a complete lack of motivation for mission. You see, most of us wouldn't openly say it, but it's easy to believe that God's work in the world is to make us healthy, to make us prosperous, to provide for us as much personal freedom as possible. It's easy to join secular assumptions about the unstoppable progress of the world, technological advance, educational advance, environmental advance, the salvation of humanity by humanity. You know, a perfect example of it was recently I was invited to pray for a Hornsby Shire Council before the opening of the council meeting. And there was some climate change protesters out the front of the council chambers who I got into a conversation with. They were really lovely people. And they handed me this flyer and on it, I think it summarized the words on that flyer summarized perfectly so much of the spirit of our age when it comes to things like the environment. The, the flyer said this, it said, enough with the thoughts and prayers, time for real action. Enough thoughts and prayers. This is our moment for real action. You know, it kind of made an awkward conversation when they asked me why I was there. And I said, I'm here to pray. <laughs> I'm here to pray for the council before they open. But it's the spirit of our age, isn't it? The salvation of man by man. We live in a world that's filled with arrogant confidence in our own power. But God is not working to build the kingdom of man. He is working to reconcile the world to himself for his glory. God is destroying our confidence in our own efforts. And he's revealing our frailty, fragility, and dependence upon him. Why? Because he wants to reconcile us to himself. You see, would we be faithful on missions during COVID-19? We need to have a divine perspective of God's work in the world. That he is a sovereign judge of all. And that he is working to reconcile the world to himself. And that's my 
first point, but not just point one, a divine perspective of God's work in the world, but point two, a divine perspective of ourselves as well. You see, it would be easy to think that God is, yes, sovereign. He's working to reconcile the world to himself. So great. I don't have a part to play. But that is not the case at all. Read with me verse 18 and 19 again. It says, All of this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, the service, the ministry of reconciliation is not being given to pastors or paid professionals. It's been given to us. The message of reconciliation has been entrusted. But it's not to the experts. It's to you and to me. It's to all of us. Okay, so it's been entrusted to us, but what does that mean? Well, we find out in the very next verse. Read with me verse 20. Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, ambassador for us, I think it kind of conjures up this image of kind of like a career diplomat, uh, a bureaucrat working abroad, maybe a little bit of espionage in there. But in the ancient world, an ambassador really was a king's special envoy. And their job was to negotiate a relationship with a hostile kingdom. Uh, in Paul's day, ambassadors would have frequently come to Rome, to the emperor in Rome, to plead with the emperor to make a favorable treaty with their king. And so they would wine and dine his court officials in a hope of getting into a close and favorable relationship with him. And Paul is taking that picture and he's turning it on its head. Because in this case, the great emperor isn't receiving ambassadors, but he's sending them out. And he's sending out you and me. Here's a question I want you guys to think about this morning. Is that how you view yourself? Do you view yourself as Christ's envoy to your neighbors, carrying his message of reconciliation? You see, the sovereign God and judge of all, he doesn't make mistakes. Where you live, it's no accident. Where you work, it's not an accident. Who you're married to, it's no mistake. The family you're part of, where you study, who your neighbors are, where you shop for groceries, the ladies in your mother's group, even who you sit next to in your office. None of these things are accidents. All of the details of our lives have been orchestrated by the sovereign God of all who is working to reconcile the world to himself. He has placed you exactly where you are as his special envoy with a message of reconciliation. And he has given you this special ministry, this service of sharing his message with those around you. God has chosen to 
involve us in his mission. He's making his appeal to others through us. But don't mishear me. We don't make anyone into Christians. You know, just earlier in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says that we have this ministry by the mercy of God. It was by God's grace that he has this ministry, not by anything he's done. More than that, in verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul writes and he says, God has shone into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, we proclaim Christ, but it's God who opens up blind eyes to come and see him. We have a part to play. We are Christ's special envoy. We are ambassadors and we have a message to deliver, but we don't make anyone into Christians. You know, Rico Tice, in his excellent book, Honest Evangelism, says this. This is the following. He says, we don't talk about ourselves and point to ourselves. We preach Christ. We talk about him with others. The gospel is so powerful because it's the power of God to open blind eyes and bring faith. We talk about Christ. God opens blind eyes. It is my job and your job to tell people about Jesus who he is, why he came, and what it means. It is not our job to make people respond. It's God who opens blind eyes. You communicate the message. Then you pray that he would do the miracle. This is so liberating. What is successful witnessing? It's not someone becoming a Christian. It's someone hearing about Christ. It's not you winning the argument, having all the answers, or giving an eloquent speech, it's preaching Christ. That's so liberating to know. Successful witnessing isn't about someone becoming a Christian. It's about someone hearing about Jesus, hearing the message of what he's come to do. And as ambassadors, we've been entrusted with a message to bring to those around us. Well, can you see it, friends? Can you see that God has called you to be his ambassador, to be his special envoy to those around you. You see, the truth is that everybody on this planet is an ambassador for something or someone. Can I ask you guys a difficult question? Can I press you a little bit more this morning? Would those around you be surprised to learn which king you represent. You see, it's easy during this time of COVID, I know I've felt it, to feel like because of social distancing and all the changes going on, that the usual rules don't apply. Time to take a break. But that is not the right perspective. You see, we're not the only ones that have been on lockdown. So was the Apostle Paul. And he writes the following from prison in what could only be severe social isolation and lockdown. In Philippians 1 verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that's become known throughout the whole imperial garden to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers becoming, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Friends, did Paul see his time of lockdown as time off? 
No, he didn't. Did Paul even have a special strategy for his lockdown? No, he didn't. He simply had a divine perspective. He believed in a sovereign judge of all things. And he saw himself as his ambassador. And so he went about looking for opportunities to proclaim the message of his king that had been entrusted to him. See, friends, having a divine perspective of ourselves, seeing ourselves as ambassadors ought to have such a clarifying effect on how we approach this pandemic. If it's true that God has made us ambassadors, it should shape our whole focus during this time. It should keep us on the lookout for opportunities to love and serve and share Christ with those around us. It should shape our prayers as we ask God for opportunities to share the message of reconciliation and to plead with others. But not just a divine perspective of God's work in the world, not just a divine perspective of ourselves, but finally, a divine perspective of others as well. Friends, can I, can I be brutally honest with us this morning? I don't think our lack of faithfulness on mission is a problem of strategy. It's a problem of heart. Read with me again, verse 13 of our passage. Paul says this. He says, for if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. If we're out of our minds, if you think it, we're crazy, says Paul, it's because we love God. If we're sober-minded, if we're saying really tough things like expel the immoral brother, it's for you. It's because we love you. Paul is saying we do everything for the sake of God and for the sake of you. Read on with me in verse 14. He says the following. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Christ's love for Paul had such a dramatic effect on him. That the king of glory would die such a shameful death on his behalf had completely taken hold of his life. And now that love controls him. More that Christ had died to liberate us, to liberate Paul from living for ourselves so that now we live for him. And we're called to follow in his example of sacrificial love for others. An example controlled, which controlled the apostle Paul. Here's the question. Does the self-sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus Christ control you? Is it the lens through which you look at all of those around you? You know, Rico Tice uh, puts it so powerfully in his book, Honest Evangelism. Let me read uh, you this quote and prepare your heart for it. It's a hard-hitting one. Rico says this. He says, my grandmother died absolutely convinced that God would accept her because she was a good person. She had faith in Christ. My brother, uh, she had no faith in Christ. My brother and I were the only Christians in the family at that point, And my brother broke down in tears when he did the Bible reading at her funeral. I was the only one who knew why she died without Christ. 
And here's what I regret. In the week before my grandmother died, I did not speak to her about Jesus. I loved her, but I didn't say anything to her. When my grandmother had died, I'd, when my other grandmother had died, I'd taken her hand and prayed with her. But not that grandmother. I just let her go. Why didn't I tell her about Christ? I've come to realize that I was afraid of what she'd say. And I was afraid of what the family would say because I knew they'd think it was inappropriate and unhelpful. I was afraid. I loved my grandmother and she loved me. But the hard truth is that I loved myself more than her. I wanted my family to think well of me more than I wanted her to think of Christ as her saviour. That's why I didn't speak to her. I loved myself more than I loved her and more than I loved the Lord. Isn't that so hard and so true of me and my example so often? You see, so much of our struggle with evangelism is not about strategy. It's about heart. And it starts with having Christ's heart, being controlled by his self-sacrificial love. And so we read on in verse 16 of our passage, it says the following. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. You see, because of what Christ has done, we don't regard others in a worldly way. Even as we used to regard Christ in a worldly way, we don't anymore. We've got a divine perspective on others, says Paul. You see, Paul used to be enraged by Jesus and his followers. Paul was convinced that Jesus' suffering and death showed God's verdict on him, that he was cursed, that he was a sinner, that he was a fraud, and that he definitely wasn't the Messiah. He was convinced that Jesus' followers were ignorant fools, that they were corrupting the people of God and that they should be eliminated. But his opinion of Christ, his opinion of others, was merely a worldly opinion, a worldly perspective, and not a divine one. See, just like the Apostle Paul, we too can suffer from a worldly perspective on those around us. We can view others as irritations. You know, like the neighbor beneath me who's constantly smoking. Or the neighbor above me who overwaters their plants and it's constantly flooding my balcony. Or has installed floorboards above us so it feels like they're constantly tap dancing above us. We can view others as too hard because they're from a different nationality or a different religion or they have a different level of education or a different sexuality or we can just be disinterested because they're rough around the edges or they're rude or they're of a different age or stage to us all of these are examples of considering others according to the flesh that's a worldly perspective because you see, the truth is that God made them in his image and he loves them. The truth is that the same love of Christ that transformed and controls the Apostle Paul is able to transform and control them as well. The truth is that God is able to shine the light of the glory of Christ through the gospel into their lives. The truth is that God is able to, in an instant, make them into new creations in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is that God has placed you in their life as an ambassador to carry that message to them. 
Well, in summary, being faithful on mission during this pandemic is about having a divine perspective. A divine perspective of God's work in the world. That he's the sovereign judge reconciling the world to himself. A divine perspective of ourselves, that we're ambassadors for Christ. And a divine perspective of others, that they are precious and able to be changed by God. You know, friends, just as we close, it's easy in a message like this, I believe, to feel somewhat condemned by your own personal example. You know, like me, I've, I've been feeling pretty recently like I've been doing a lousy job in this, even though this is actually part of my job in the church. You know, you'd think I have my example all put together, but I don't. But here's a beautiful message I want to encourage you with. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, the truth is that there's no place for condemnation in this. God gave us Christ that through his righteous life and his self-sacrifice for our sins, we might be clothed in his perfectly obedient life. And so there's no cause for shame or condemnation about our personal examples of this because of Christ. But I wanted to end with a few brief words of application for those who feel like they haven't been living this way, but feel convicted and want to make a start. Here's a a few quick points as we close. Firstly, I just encourage you just to spend some time praying, if that's you, and asking God for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness that you haven't been living as an ambassador and ask him to change you. Secondly, to pray and ask the Lord to show you the people he's placed in your life right now to deliver his message of reconciliation and to ask him to give you opportunities to do it. To share with them the beautiful message of Christ and to be faithful to his calling upon your life as an ambassador. Thirdly, you might like to consider encouraging or speaking to someone in the church that you love and respect and asking them to disciple you uh, to go through one of the uh, resources on our discipleship resource to meet up and, and read a book together to ask if you could meet to grow together and encourage one another in this. And finally, just to use this time of COVID, this time of pandemic where things are a little bit different, to fan your heart aflame with love for Christ, to add fuel to your heart so that it might overflow into love for those around you. Well, friends, during this time of pandemic, would God give us, as a local church, his divine perspective? Can I pray for you guys? Dear Lord, I just want to thank you so much uh, this morning for just a beautiful privilege of gathering around your word. Lord. And we just want to thank you that you're not a God who, because of our failings, is jaded and gives us the silent treatment. But you're a God who speaks to us and comes to us with a word of encouragement, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for the beautiful gift of the Lord Jesus and his example, the way he laid down his life and gave it all for us that we could know you and love you, Lord. That is such a beautiful example. And Lord, I just want to pray on behalf of all of us this morning. Lord, help us to live a little bit more in light of his example. 
a little bit more like him to, to say, yet not my will but yours be done, Lord, to pour ourselves out for the sake of Christ and for the sake of our neighbors and to share the beautiful gospel, the good news of what he's done with them. Lord, would you help us? Would you empower us, Lord? Would I pray for anyone here this morning who just feels particularly maybe convicted by this, Lord. I just pray that through the Holy Spirit, Lord, you'd reassure them of your favor. You'd reassure them that that is your, that is your love being poured out on them, that that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, for us as a, as a community that we'd make grace-motivated change, Lord, that we'd move towards faithfulness because we love you so much. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.